All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We are nearing that time of year when we will be sitting down to tables um, spread with many varieties of food and things that we all enjoy. And there are times when you sit and look at a table like that and you just stand back and, and you want to enjoy the, the beauty of the table. I know if you're anything like my, uh, my mother, my mother was always one to have a beautifully decorated table. Uh, she would be very careful to have a centerpiece, and, and uh, it was something seasonally appropriate and flowers and whatnot. And, and then there are, you know, there was a time in our history when people used to do something called dressing for dinner. Did any of you ever, you know what I'm talking about? Dress, you d- dress for dinner, yeah. I, we never really did dress for dinner much at, at my house unless, well, if it was just, you know, if you were going somewhere for a special meal or what have you, then maybe, maybe you would dress for dinner. Uh, but um, there was a time when, you know, people wouldn't show up unless they were uh, appropriately attired. Well, we want to talk about looking at the table. And uh, you may notice, if if you've been paying attention, we are prepared to have communion at the close of the service this evening. And uh, you may be thinking, this is not the last Sunday. Typically, we have communion on the last Sunday of the month. And uh, since I'm not going to be here next Sunday evening, and neither are you, I thought we ought to go ahead this evening and have our communion service. Let me remind you that the the meaning and the food that you receive, how it benefits you, a lot of it depends on the way you come to the table. Um... You can make it a ritual if you choose to and have it empty of meaning and empty of purpose. And which, I, if, it's, if it is that for you, I would suggest you think carefully about whether or not you should even receive the bread and the cup. And that's what we'll be talking about a little bit tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. 
And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who, drink, who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged or chastened by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. When we come to the table, Paul says we ought to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. In examining ourselves, I suppose one of the first things that this passage invites us to do is to look back, to look back into the past. Verses 23 through the first part of 26, Paul is quoting from Jesus himself and is reminding us that we, when we come together and we partake of the bread and the cup, we are remembering the Lord's death. We are remembering that he died, simply that he gave himself as, a, as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. We are also remembering why he died. He died, as I just mentioned, as a substitutionary offering, uh, taking upon himself uh, the sins of the world, our sins, mine and yours. We could also remember how he died, that he died willingly. He died meekly. The prophet said, uh, as a lamb before its shears is dumb, that's, that's the way this lamb came, that's the way Jesus came. He did not protest, he did not defend himself. And... You remember on occasion that he said, if I wanted to, I could call legions of angels to, to protect me. What would it take knowing that you had at your disposal anything that you needed to defend yourself against the accusations that were coming against you and yet to willingly, meekly accept the judgment that was coming upon you? Yet, friends, this is exactly what Jesus did. And Jesus tells us that when we come, he invited us to partake of the bread, partake of the cup, and do it often in remembrance of him. It's interesting, out of all of the things that we tend to do as a church, as a, uh, as a body of believers, um, we tend to emphasize the things that become meaningful to us, the traditions that become meaningful to us, yet so often we neglect the things that we were specifically told by Jesus to give attention to. I don't intend to throw any stones in the past or cast any criticisms at others or, or what has been done in years gone by, but I simply want to remind you that Jesus told his disciples and through his disciples us that the way we are to remember him is not through, is not through Sunday school, though Sunday school is great and it's wonderful to come together and, and study the word. 
It's not through prayer meetings, though I believe in prayer meetings. It's not through the preaching of the Word, though as you know and can hopefully at times tell, I invest time and I invest energy in preaching the Word. But that's not what Jesus said we were to use in order to remember Him. But He said we were to come to the table and partake of the bread and drink the cup and do it to remember Him, to remember how He died. We need to understand that this is more than just the recollection of historical facts. This is more than just reminiscing about something that happened a long time ago. But rather, this is a celebration of present tense realities. Present tense realities. You see, friends, the cross is timeless and rises above the tides and the currents of history. Just as God is outside of time and is unaffected by uh, the past, present, and future, the way we are concerned about those things, so Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and His atoning and sufficient sacrifice is at work right now to cleanse and to keep us cleansed from all sin. We look back. At the table, as we come to the table, we look back, we remember that he died. Not only do we look back, but we also look ahead. The last part of verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, when we gather at the table, we are also not just remembering his death, but we are remembering his promise to return. The death of Jesus was necessary and a glorious provision for the sins of the world. It is by His death, by His atoning sacrifice, that we find our sins forgiven, that we are reconciled back to God and adopted into His family. And I'm so grateful for all of that. It was part of the, a big part of the reason why He came. Yet, all of that is also prelude to what was really to take place in His death. If you look at Hebrews chapter 9, we read these words. Verse 11, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent or tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own precious blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of the defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Then we skip down to verse 24 where we read, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. 
But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed to man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The death of Jesus was important. We ought to remember. We ought to celebrate it. We ought to celebrate it as a present tense reality, something that works right now. But more than that, in the heart of every Christian, there ought to be a stirring anticipation that just as he came and shed his blood to then present that blood to the Father, he will come again just as he promised. I remember hearing a story about a preacher who long years ago during the days of, of uh, train travel, steam train travel, he was standing with a crowd of people waiting at the station for a train to arrive. And they'd waited long past the appointed time. At a certain point, an agent came out of the station and explained to that something had happened back down the line and the train had been delayed and, and it was to be another hour and then it happened again, a, a, a second hour went by and then I believe a third hour went by until finally the word came that the, the interruption had been cleared and the train was on its way and after a few moments that preacher went to that agent and said, where does this train board? And that agent pointed down to a certain place at the edge of the platform and right there. And that preacher gathered his luggage and went down and stood right there at the appointed place. And the crowd began to line up behind him. They had not yet heard the sound of a whistle or a bell. They had not yet heard the sound of the locomotive, but they were expecting and they were anticipating. They'd been waiting long enough and were ready to be ready when the train arrived. Well, friends, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, that where I am, there you may be also. Friends, we look ahead and remember that Jesus is coming again. We also look within. We look within. Verses 27 through 28 of our scripture speaks about receiving the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner and how those that do so will drink or will will receive to themselves the King James version I believe used to say damnation maybe some of you here have been troubled by that passage. I know I have family, loved ones who for long years were very disturbed by that passage and felt like if someone came to receive the bread and the cup and they didn't have everything squared away just right and they didn't have the I's dotted and the T's crossed just so that they were in danger of having their soul eternally lost. I'll just kindly tell you that's not what that verse says. 
Yes, it speaks of condemnation, but it is, it is, it is judgment in the form of chastening discipline that is meant to bring people back in line. Notice what it says in verse 31. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So friends, when we come to the table to receive the bread and the cup, we, we look within. I read of a service in Scotland a, a number of years ago where communion was being served, the bread and the cup, and there was a dear little woman who sat weeping, and as the elements were being served, she refused to accept the bread and the cup, and the elder who was uh, administering that service walked down to the lady and again took from the one who was serving the bread and the cup and, and again put it in front of her and encouraged her and said, take it, take it, it's for sinners. It's for sinners. Friends, can I just remind you that none of us ever are worthy of the body and blood of the Lord in the sense that we deserve what he did. Friends, if we all had what we deserve, none of us would be here tonight. None of us would have the opportunity for forgiveness, for salvation. So as we come, we come with self-examination, not to find worthiness in ourselves, because you'll never find that. No one is. But what Paul is talking about here is coming in a flippant, a flippant manner. We examine our attitudes. How, what is our attitude when we come? Is it like just coming to another meal? He talks about this in verses 17 through 22. He, he uh, mentions how they come. Some of them, he says, he cannot commend them because when you come together, it's not for better but for worse because when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes Ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. He says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? They were turning the Lord's Supper into a party, some were. And some apparently were coming because they couldn't get enough to eat. And they were not being cared for properly by the church. We examine ourselves for our attitude. We also examine our actions our actions. Friends, the death of Christ on the cross is God's judgment on my sins and on your sins. And for you and I to live persistently in sin or to have even a small particular area of our lives that we try to keep for ourselves and then try to act as if nothing is wrong and continue to, to uh, put on a facade of, of Christianity and living for Jesus and then come to the table and receive the bread and the cup. Friends, that is to ignore the tremendous price that was paid for our sins. May God help us. May God forgive us if we try to 
regard or hide as the, the uh, I believe it was the, the writer of the Proverbs said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We look within. We also, as we come to the table, we look around. Look around. Verses 33 and 34. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And then a few verses back, he speaks, uh, uh, verse 29. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is interesting, discerning the body. What is that about? Well, there, there are two bodies that we could talk about in this passage. There is, first of all, of course, the body of the Lord. That as we come and we break the bread, and remember that Jesus said, this is my body which was broken for you. And as we spoke a moment ago, we receive it in a way that is, that is reverent, that is recognizing that it was our responsibility that caused his body to be broken. But there is also another body that is always present when we come to the Lord's table. And that is the church. If you back up in 1 Corinthians and go to chapter 10, you read these words. Verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This body is the body of believers. And just as bread, we, we, could, uh, we could preach a whole message about bread and how it is made up of, of separate parts and separate elements, yet comes together and is combined to, to make one, one loaf. Friends, you and I are one, and one of the biggest problems that Paul was addressing in this passage was the lack of unity in the body, that there was division. And friends, the other way and probably just as serious as our attitude and our actions, the other way that we may receive the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner is if there are relationships in our lives that are damaged or broken that need to be restored. Remember that Jesus said, if you come and bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that someone has aught against you, you get up and leave. Go back and make that problem right and then come back. In other words, right relationships take priority over worship. And we cannot properly worship until we are in right relationships. So as we come to the table, we look back 
We remember the Lord's death, that He died, that it was the atoning sacrifice for, her, for our sins, that He gave Himself freely for us all. We look within, we, we look at ourselves, we examine ourselves, we look ahead, we remember that Jesus is coming back, and we look around at the body We say, Lord, is there anywhere or anyone where I need to be reconciled, where I need to renew relationships? Let's bow our hearts for a moment of prayer, and let me invite you to...